Welcome to After Hours at the Radio Book Club, which is a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. As always, my co-host, Arson Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. We're joined today by Rachel King, who we have been talking to about her collection of short stories, Bratwurst Haven. Check out the broadcast edition of the Radio Book Club. You'll hear a lot more about the different characters and some of the themes. And then after hours, well, I think you two have a lot to talk about. You go way (laughs) back. You were in a writing group together. Yeah, we were in a writing group from 2012 to 2016, we figured out. (laughs) So, Rachel, you were working on a novel at that Mm -hmm. time, which became People of the Sand. People Along the Sand. People on the Sand. Was the group helpful at all in that novel? They were very, very helpful. Yeah, especially because you looked at the early pages and when I didn't have everything figured out and you kind of helped me pair it back and figure out the characters and it was very helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I'm happy yeah. that we were able to help you some. Yeah. So, so for the uninitiation, including <laughs> myself, when you're in a writing group, how much writing goes on versus how much reading or talking about the writing? I mean, what, what normally happens? Well, well, yeah. I mean, it depends on the writing group. For ours, we met once a month, about four or five people, and we would each submit a chapter or a story and then in the hour or so that we met, we would critique that story or chapter. Well, that and it can, terrifying. And it, well, and it can be uneven. And Rachel and I came out on the good side. Rachel and I were both uh, working on things, so we would turn in fifteen to twenty pages each month. But then other people, like you know, they would write these precious jewels of things, and it would only be maybe one page. So I'd have to read Rachel's, and then maybe a one-page thing, where the other person who wrote the one-page thing would have to read Rachel's yeah. twenty pages and my twenty pages. Yeah. At least it wasn't every two weeks, only once a month. And is that easier to get critiqued by fellow writers? I mean, it sounds like, for want of a better word, a safe space for that right. type of thing. Yeah, it was very helpful to to get critiqued in that way. So did Bratwurst Haven go through no. a writing group process at I started all? writing that after I left the writing group. Yeah, a few months after. But yes, uh, so... No, it didn't go through that. But I had one friend who read most of these stories um, who I'd known before that, actually. Well, what were you writing, Arsene? Was this the the door to door sales? (laughs) I was writing a novel about a a sales rep at the end of his career winding his way through the mountains of Colorado. He was door to door, wasn't he? Not door to door. He's a a book salesman. So he goes to books stores door to door. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So So, Rachel was a great reader Mm -hmm. of it. But, um, well, let me ask you about publishing, too, because you, mm-hmm. you send out kind of a newsletter yes. where you kind of talk about your experiences through in the publishing world. You worked at Perseus here? I worked at Perseus here. And then um, West Boulder. Virginia I University? I worked at West Virginia University Press before that. Um, I've also done freelancing, um, worked on paid staff at a literary magazine, um, and now I'm kind of like working for a nursing nonprofit, so kind of out of sight of the publishing world. So tell us about what you what you write now and you try to get out there to let people know, like, what's really happening in the publishing yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, I think I, I wrote a lot. I kind of wrote about my experiences. I was in production in nonfiction books here at Perseus. And then I kind of contrasted with that being a writer and trying to get my own work out and how people think like you work in publishing so you know people and it's like not really you know like I, I had to go through I was sending out my novel to like dozens and dozens of agents and I didn't know any of them and so just 
kind of my experience on the back end, but also trying to be a writer is what I was talking about. Yeah. It's interesting how disconnected publishing is, right? I mean, yeah. you were in publishing, you were working on books, yeah. but then when you have your own book, you, there's nowhere to go. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you think there, there could be something better than the web system that maybe. it is? <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe if it was like, I was working at a literary magazine in New York or something, there would be some more direct connection, but it just wasn't in the same field. So yeah. so are you working on something right now? Yes. Um, I am writing a, a short novel called The Redheads. It's about a group of women basketball players who go around the U.S. playing men's teams during the 1930s in the Great Depression. And it's based on a true story. I wrote a story on it over a decade ago um, and someone said you know it seems more like a novel so now I'm trying to put it into a novel there was a similar book or movie about a baseball team yeah. I think League of Their League Own League of Their Own yeah only they it, they weren't playing men's teams um, so a little bit different and yeah but it there is that comparison for sure will your novel have Madonna in it no <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell, Gina too. Yeah, Rosie yeah. O'Donnell, Gina Davis. <laughs> you should put them in your. your exactly. Gina Davis would probably be a great basketball player. Yeah, probably. So. And so, how did you happen upon that true story of this? Oh my goodness, basketball it was something league? on online in like 2010. I found like a tiny article on it, and I just something that obsessed me. And um, I, I uh, the story won an award. Like I, I won an award for it. Um, it was never published. It was just won an award, and then. I just just I've been trying to put it into novel form since then and finally I'm working on it. So we'll I mean see. it sounds like wonderful, very fertile ground yeah. for a, a novel and th- this idea of these women going around. So what ultimately happened? How long did the league last? Oh, it lasted till the seventies, I think, actually. Um, but I'm just focusing on like nineteen thirty six, thirty seven about a young woman and I'm very much fictionalizing it. Um, like a young woman who lives outside of Portland and her and her sister uh, have been orphaned and she leaves her sister. So it's kind of like the pull between home and coming back. And I've lived a lot of places in the U S so I'm using it also to like explore the, the U S and through the, my writing. So it's fun. And, and also like, it's just fun. Like these stories are a little bit darker. Um, so like, I just want to write about people playing basketball and then they go and they go to clubs in the night and, and dance. And I'm like, that's fun. <laughs> well, when you were, when you were here, and yep. I was reading your work. You're writing a novel about the Oregon coast. Right. Now you live in Oregon. Yes. Or what you, and then you, while you were in Oregon, you wrote all about Colorado. Right. <laughs> Does that, is it just coincidence? Does that distance give you a little vantage point? I mean. Possibly. I, I have written some stuff about Oregon when I'm there. I think the only, the only thing I can think of is it like takes a while for me to process things. So like when I was living here. I just hadn't really processed and my time here and, and the novel that you read, I think it had a lot of, even though it was set in the sixties, a lot of it had to do with my relatives and my childhood in some ways. And, and I hadn't processed that until like 10 years after my childhood or something, you know? Um, so maybe it's more processing than like look geography. Like, yeah. Do you feel like you fully processed your experience of living in Boulder <laughs> County and exiled any demons? <laughs> So you're writing of I don't know. And, 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 you know, some of the, the characters and the things, you know, they came from before and after that. And you know how fiction is. So it's not just about one one thing. But yeah. So. So you're here. So you're, you're kind of doing the uh, go back to Colorado yeah. tour here. And how's yeah. how's it go? How, how often do you come back? And, and I've only been back once in seven years. Mm-hmm. No, twice. Twice. Um, this is my third time. So I would like to come back more, but just haven't. Have you noticed anything different yet? 
I mean, Lafayette and Louisville, they're just like, keep getting building up <laughs> both of those places. So I didn't spend a lot of time in Boulder, but there's just more apartments. And obviously there was a fire in, in Louisville. So I was driving around today and seeing some of the damage from that, which yeah. was really sad. We talked not not about the fire, but we talked yeah. about housing and what's yeah. happening in eastern Boulder County and Boulder. Yeah. Uh, in in the other interview and how you know because a lot of the themes in in your stories are around the economic circumstances of people and, right. and housing is such a huge thing and we were saying that that traditionally I mean and it wasn't up until that long ago maybe a decade ago people would maybe this this was my experience rent in Boulder right. when you want to buy a house see ya right. and you head east yeah. to maybe some of the this issues in Boulder County, that's not even an option yeah, anymore. And so pe- I'm wondering how far east people are going to go. I don't know. Before they can afford to buy a house. Yeah. I saw like a few years ago, like Erie, there were still some places. But then in the last couple of years, I'm like, there's not any places there either. Now. Well, Erie's exploding yeah. now. The San Luis Valley. We had Ted, Con- Ted Conover on yeah. the book club a few <laughs> months ago. It's the... Last cheap place you can yeah. get anything. Yeah, but it's kind of a horror. I mean, it's really, really hard to live there. Almost impossible. That was the basis of that interview. Like, like he almost froze to death his first night there. Well, and then the trailer nearly tipped over and a whole bunch of things. It's it's a extreme living for sure. But that's yeah. why a lot of people end up there. It's the only place they can actually yeah. afford to mm-hmm. have buy their own their own space i mean what's it like in in oregon yeah i mean it's it's really bad there as far as housing and things were Um, there sort of suburbs outside of portland i mean there were and actually there were more neighborhoods in portland that were affordable and now it's not as much anymore um so yeah my husband and i got an 800 square foot place for 250 in 2017 but that would not happen now. <laughs> so that was about the last year. And even when I was living here, I was like, you know, I need to get, you know, it, it doubled, the housing like doubled in price, like the four years I was living here back there, you know. So, yeah, it's um, the same thing is happening there. So Yeah, I mean, it makes it, you, the characters you write about are yeah. those people that are, you know, striving, they're, they're, they're just, or tries trying to get by and, you know, and they're trying to do these jobs that are, near the minimum wage and when you talk about what this conversation what's happening in portland what's happening in boulder what's happening in the bay area what's happening there's so many places this is happening it's hard to see a a future you know i mean i feel like the minimum wage keeps going up but housing is more than outpacing it much more especially with inflation this year and yeah it's and 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 nationally the minimum wage is you know still been 725 since 2009 which is really um, hard. And I mean, I lived in West Virginia and I worked a couple $8 an hour jobs there at the time in like 2010, around 2010. And I, I know they've gone up a little there, but their minimum wage is still like, I think eight or $9 an hour. Like it's still really low. Um, and then some places it's still seven twenty five. So yeah. I mean, you do have to wonder yeah. where the end point will be and will there be just... People say no more. Yeah. yeah. What are we going to do? We can't just have a society with tech millionaires. I like, where are all the surface people? Yeah. Where are the people working in sausage factories going to live? I think a lot of people are like living more intergenerationally now or like with more people. What, um, that because you have to. So mm-hmm. that's just like forcing people to live like with parents or siblings or friends um, for longer especially parents. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting story going on in publishing right now. Um, 
Harper Collins has there's a strike against Harper Collins by um, kind of assistant assistant yeah, editors and marketing and all these assistant positions, the entry level positions in New York, and they're paid probably in the low 40s. And what they're asking for is 50,000, which is what Simon and Schuster pays. Um, but then I read that you know even 50,000, and these are jobs that are in Manhattan, is nothing. You know, a 50,000 dollar uh, job in Chicago. $50,000 income in Chicago is equivalent to about 100000 in Manhattan. So even to get, you know, so when you think about, you know, this industry that, that we love, we're, we're book people, yeah. and, you know, it's how is it sustainable? The people yeah. who are producing the books are, are working and living in a place where they're not, the, the, the publisher's you know, aren't ever going to pay an entry-level person $100,000. So 50000 might allow you to live with three roommates in Queens, yeah. you know? <laughs> but then, you know, and we've talked about this, I know, with with previous authors, this idea that those folks getting those entry-level positions are probably coming saddled with a, a huge amount of debt, right? Because you have to have a degree. These aren't just straight out of high school kind of jobs. And so how on earth are you supposed to make all that work unless yeah. you have enormous privilege and it doesn't even seem that enormous, but your parents essentially are helping you out? Well, that's the problem, right? It's 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 forcing out. Uh, so meanwhile, all the publishers are talking about um, DEI, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. But when you have a situation where the only people who can really work there for more than a cup of coffee, you know, maybe you do it for a few months if you have debt are people that have the privilege and the people who have privilege are not going to enable you to reach any sort of DEI goals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you were in public. Yeah. I mean, not to mention that a lot of jobs they need, you have to have internships first, which I've never, I never had any internships for anything, but I was lucky enough that West Virginia University Press, um, where I had my first job, they, they hired me without that. Like I had some, a little bit of editing experience and, um, they, it, I was, it was a graduate assistantship is what it was. Um, so that's how I got my foot in the door. But a lot of people, they're doing like internships and it's, yeah, hard. Yeah. There's all these conversations happening in media yeah. as well. The arts, publishing, all of these areas that are actually as an industry trying to, as you said, Arson, be more inclusive, having at least surface level conversations around DEI. But the reality is the way the payment and the... Yeah. Uh, compensation structure is you will never change that right. with the current model yeah yeah well it definitely makes me think of the characters in your book yeah. you know, <laughs> life is tough if right. we visit these characters five years later life is gonna be tougher it seems like right. unless something changes yeah definitely you know you have the sense of them being trapped because so many people are by the economic circumstances and you know where are you gonna go yeah that's a bit depressing. Talk about the basketball. <laughs> red you're you're going to go, you're gonna go drive up to Netherlands. You're going to go up to drive up to Netherlands and find a wonderful woman in a one room cabin. Yeah, but she's on a waiting list for affordable housing. So you still can't escape the economic reality. I think I think there's some hopeful things in here. How the characters in the low wage jobs would su- support one another. Mm-hmm. You know, I would it was something I didn't a theme that I didn't really realize until after I wrote all the stories, you know, it was kind of exploring if these people helped one another and a lot of them, them were supporting one another in, in small ways. And I don't know, I feel like in life sometimes that's all that you can do. I mean, some of us can like be involved politically or with our jobs or on a low level, but sometimes it's just like, you know, giving someone some dinner or something like that. <laughs> like no, a, there was a lot of a solidarity. Out or something. Yeah. yeah, there really was. But why a sausage factory? So, mm-hmm. 
Oh, so my uh, boyfriend now, husband, he had worked at one. So that's where I got all of like the details, I guess, um, even though I never went inside. But he worked at one for a couple years. And so um, he he would tell me about the details. And so I uh, and one and the first story, the train engineer, I met one of his coworkers who had been a train engineer. So that part came like directly from that. But then kind of the other characters and things, like I said in our other talk, they just came from everywhere and sometimes I'd place them back in there and sometimes they were there and then I made up a story about them but that's originally where that came from I was wondering because we yeah. often say oh we'll yeah. go to the sausage factory as yeah. a sort of euphemism yeah. for like we're gonna hear how this really gets made <laughs> yeah, exactly. but there is an actual real sausage factory yeah. somewhere in the origin story yeah. I well I appreciated that aspect of it because I like stories that have work in them you know a lot of times you read novels and they can be great novels but Nobody really – or you just hear about like the novel all takes place when they're home on the weekends or in the afternoon yeah. after work or they're leaving for work. But they're never actually working. And, yeah, I mean we spend so much time working. We spend a lot of time working. I mean to tell yeah. the story of my life, for instance, yeah. without ever having me in the bookstore itself right. would be not true. And your I, story was about – your novel was about work as well. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, I wrote about work. Yeah. That's such an interesting observation <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. How, men, how much of what we consume and also not just in books but films and, and TV right. shows – the absence of work, which is where most people are, you know, unless you've something like The Office, obviously, right. you know, which yes. elevates that sense of, you know, day to day. Of course, what? now it'll just be remote work. How, how interesting will that be to see a movie? <laughs> You're on Zoom. Like, <laughs> I can't wait, Sam, yeah. wait to see that on the big screen. So what, what's your writing process? Do you you know have a clock and you go, right, I'm sitting down for an hour and just whatever comes out, comes out. But you know, or do you? lounge around waiting for you know inspiration to hit you or do you you know are you quite methodical about it how do you organize your Um, your writing life well I've been writing seriously as an adult for 17 years and um it's been different like there are different phases like when I was here and working on that novel um I was working like a nine to five weekday job and so like you said, when I woke up, I was thinking about work. I tried to do like, I would write like 100 words maybe before work. Then I was like, this isn't working. So what I did for on that novel is I wrote 500 words Saturday and Sunday morning. And so like sometimes it would take me like two hours and sometimes it would take me like five hours because I would just sit there for two hours, you know. But I was like, I'm going to write 500 words. And that's how it worked for me. Um, when I was writing this, I had like part of the time um I had like three part-time jobs so I, some of the some of the times I could write like some mornings that weren't the weekdays um but I would always try to write, write weekdays mornings um and it's hard for me to write in the evening because like I'm just tired from every the whole day but um so I try to write in the mornings when I can and right now I'm now I'm back to a full-time um Monday through Friday job um so I'm doing weekends again yeah that's it. <laughs> were there other stories that didn't make the cut? Other characters that just um, didn't fit in? There were a, a few stories that I started but didn't finish. But all the finished stories made it, except one that the editor cut out. It was called um, Pain. And it was actually nominated for a pushcart through the Northwest Review. But she thought that it didn't fit with others. And I could see some of her reasoning. So, yeah. Well, you can hold that out for some future exactly. date. Exactly. <laughs> To be continued, Bratwurst Haven. (laughs) Well, Rachel King has been our guest today after hours at the Radio Book Club. Her collection of short stories is Bratwurst Haven. (laughs) Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. (laughs) After hours at the Radio Book Club is a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. As always, Arson Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. Thanks, Arson. Thank you, Maeve.